Well, good morning, Getwell Church. It is an honor to be with you today, and what an amazing witness this morning that it has been to see God's love and His amazing grace through these people that have come in baptism. Today, we're closing out our series titled, When We Pray, and we've been exploring for the past few weeks God's desire for participation in a powerful aspect of life in His kingdom and that is prayer. We've talked about what happens when we pray. Does it do something to God? Does it do something to us? And what I hope you have gained these weeks is a deeper understanding that prayer moves us closer to God and moves then God closer to action. Prayer truly changes the world around us and in us. But we've got to remember this. Jonathan pointed this out last week. Prayer is not a tool that we use to manipulate God to get him to do what we want him to do. Prayer is a tool that God uses to draw him into him to let us be a part of what he wants to do in and through us. And over these weeks, we've used the Lord's Prayer as a model of the way God wants to work in our lives. So let's take a look at that prayer in Matthew 6, uh, beginning in verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What we hear in this is Jesus giving a model of what he wants to do in us and through us. And the last three weeks we've looked at these phrases, your will be done, give us, and forgive us. Now, when we say your will be done, we are transformed when we surrender to God and his will to what he wants to do in our lives. When we say give us, we're asking God for a daily provision and building a healthy dependence on him. When we say, forgive us, we're saying, God, we need this forgiveness in our life. And God is willing to forgive it, but it empowers us to forgive others as he forgave us. We're reminded, though, that these requests ultimately rely on trust. So what about today? We have one last focus And it is for protection. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You see, this focus here in this prayer, in this 13th verse, brings the focus uh, back to earth, to us. Lead us not into temptation. It's a modern plea that in our modern terms, we could probably be saying, please, God, please don't lead us into temptation. You see, it's one thing for us to ask God to help in this way, but it's another if we intentionally put our lives in a position to be tempted. 
This plea recognizes that sometimes we can't help the birds from flying over our head. But one theologian said it best, we can keep them from building a nest on our head. You see, in our modern media, in our modern culture, temptation is one click away. Church, we have to rely on God's strength and guidance to keep us out of situations that we might become compromised. That final phrase, deliver us from the evil one, it returns then the focus back to heaven again. You know, some translations have this from the evil one. Others say just from evil. But if you look in the original Greek, there is the direct article. They're pointing it to something. And that something is not a concept. Jesus intends to put a face on evil. And we know his intended reference. It is Satan himself. Satan's universe is public enemy, number one. He is the chief opponent of God and his people and a leader of untold numbers of fallen angels and demonic forces. Jesus says he has been a murderer from the beginning and he is engaged in an all-out war against the forces of God in the universe. Satan, this translated in the Old Testament in a Hebrew word, it means adversary. You would actually pronounce it Satan if you were pronouncing Hebrew. And it's used, this term is used multiple times in the Old Testament. Ezekiel in chapter 28 says this. He's describing Satan in this manner. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect beauty. You were in Eden. The garden of God, you were anointed as a guardian cherub, for I so ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God and walked among the fiery stones. Satan had a very important position in God's kingdom. Isaiah then describes Satan's attitude this way. Satan said to himself, I will ascend into heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the amount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. We've heard that before, right? In Genesis chapter 3, Satan comes to Eve. He persuades Eve to, and then Adam to eat the forbidden fruit, expelling them from Eden and sealing their doom and sealing the doom for rest of humanity. But although Adam and Eve are punished, Satan is the one that gets the fiercest curse in this rebellion. The Lord says to him, Cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals. You, Satan, will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Now, we understand that this eating dust is a metaphorical reference since snakes don't have dirt as their diet. We're not talking about the snake as much as we're talking about Satan as an angelic being that rebelled against God. That Hebrew word is nahash, and it literally means uh, adversary or deceiver. He wanted to be like God, the Most High. 
And instead, God says, I'm going to bring your station from angel all the way down below humans, below animals, into the dust of the earth and ultimately under the earth, which in Hebrew terms we know is the belly of Sheol or Hades. That's his dominion. 1 John 5.19 says, The whole world is under the control of the evil one. Satan rules the nations of the earth. Here's the point I want us to understand, church. Until the fall that Satan convinced Eve and Adam to eat the fruit, he couldn't touch them. He literally had no power to touch them. They had total protection by God. He had to convince them through deception that there was something better, something they were missing out on, and he accomplished that. Did God really say that? God knows that if you eat that fruit, you're going to be just like him. We know this story. Eve fell for it, convinced Adam, and the results were devastating. Adam and Eve voluntarily gave their protection from God over to the evil one, to Satan. And it, sin entered their life. It affected everything. It affected creation. Their natural protection was thereby gone because they handed over their allegiance to anything but God, but, but specifically Satan. And now the only way for protection for Adam and Eve was for God to voluntarily to choose to act on their behalf. And this has been the state of the world ever since. We humans have sin in our lives. We, in end of our own selves, have no power to do anything about it. We can't get it out. That's why John said the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That is, and do you know that sin in and of itself is evil? Scripture tells us that Satan commands his own host of fallen angels and demons. We get the story in Revelation 12 where Satan convinced one-third of the angels in heaven to war with God and his angels. And there was a war, and you know who won, the Creator. And Satan and those third of angels were thrown out. And where were they thrown? To earth. He is by nature a liar, and he has spiritual children just like God has. In the Gospel of John in chapter 8, we find Jesus on the Mount of Olives, and the scribes and the Pharisees, they bring this woman who committed adultery because they're planning on tricking Jesus. And so they tell her that, you know, they tell Jesus she's an adulteress. The law says we should stone her. And Jesus turns the tables on them and says, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. Down in verse 31, Jesus tells these Pharisees and scribes that if you abide in me, meaning Jesus, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. But they don't understand this and they say, wait a minute, we're not enslaved to anyone. What are you talking about? Our father is Abraham. And Jesus reminded them that they're enslaved to sin and they have another father. Let's pick up in verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? 
It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus is reminding those Pharisees, scribes, and religious leaders, your allegiance is all wrong. They wouldn't believe Jesus. These verses point out truth, church, that we have to understand. Church, we're called to believe who Jesus said he was. You either are going to belong to him or you're going to belong to Satan. There is no in-between. For those who are not in Christ, they are Satan's, they're his, and he keeps them. He keeps the, those that don't see him from seeing this good news. Look at 2 Corinthians in, in 4. Paul says this, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those what? Who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But there's good news. It turns out that Jesus' own death at least broke some of Satan's deathly earthly power. And the author of Hebrews says this in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's humans, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held by slavery, by their fear of death. We see Jesus came to break the chains of the evil one, but yet he still gives us warning until we are called home, Christians, Satan and his forces come after us day after day after day, and he comes after us hard. He comes after us personally. He comes after us through life situations. He comes after our families. We are in a constant spiritual battle. While Satan's power is broken, though, He's not powerless yet. In fact, some New Testament passages tell us that there's ways he can actually gain a little bit of advantage against us sometimes. Peter reminds us this in 1 Peter 5. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What do we see Peter saying here? If you have Jesus in your life, you have someone to battle for you, and he's God himself. You now have the ability to resist all that Satan tempts you with. 
Peter asked, how do we resist? We stand firm in our faith. We know life is full of suffering, right? Because of Satan. Have y'all watched the news lately? You know, if we understood, if we could see the spiritual realm and had the ability to see what was going on around us, we'd probably all faint. But here's the deal. John, through the Holy Spirit, promises us this. 1 John 5, 18 and 19. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. With Jesus, Satan can throw all of his forces and everything he has at us, but he cannot touch us. Now, he can cause worldly circumstances to try to throw us off track, right? We experience that all the time. But we belong to Jesus, and we ultimately have the victory. Greater is he that's in me, Holy Spirit, than he that is in the world, Satan. So how do we resist? How do we resist this and stand firm? We have to go to Ephesians. Paul reminds the church in Ephesus. He says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of who? The devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I want to stop right here and look at these words. Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. Paul says we are not fighting human beings here, folks. We think it, but look what's working through human beings. Rulers, that Greek word arche, and then authorities, that exousia, you could go through that and that literally means something that has absolute power over human beings. Those are who are controlled by Satan and his evil plans. Cosmic powers, if I took the literal Greek translation through that verse, it says here, ruler, world ruler of darkness, and it's got this Greek word hutos, and that means demons. Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, fallen angels. So what do we do? Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, Jesus said, what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, when we have Christ, his righteousness is placed upon us. And shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by what? The gospel of peace. Jesus says, my peace, I leave you. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish, All the flaming darts of the evil one. You have this power now through Christ. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. 
praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. What we see here is we know that even though Satan can sometimes gain a tactical advantage over us, ultimately we have the victory and his fate is sealed. John in Revelation is, shows his ultimate end of that devil he calls the serpent of old. In Revelation 20.10 it says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown in the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever. Satan is God's enemy. He is our chief enemy. But through the death burial and resurrection of Jesus his power is broken and his fate is sealed but we have got to be vigilant church vigilant so as not to give him an advantage in leading us astray when we follow Jesus and submit to him we have a new status we've traded the God of the world for the king of kings who overcame the world and all evil in it our loyalties have switched from the God of this world, who is Satan, to the God of the universe, the creator. We're back in a pre-fall state. Believe it or not, the only problem we have, it, we know sin's taken care of, but can we still sin? Yes, we know that. We struggle with that. And Jesus knew that too. And he says, you know, if you just confess your sin, I am faithful and just to forgive it to you. We have God himself covering our sin. That's what today was all about. They were, they were representing to us that they are now back in the kingdom of God. We just have to confess it and trust that it's taken care of. His righteousness is now our righteousness. We can rest in this truth and trust it. And we can trust that he will protect us. Now, if you want your prayer life to be shaped by the Word of God, as I hope you do, you cannot do anything better than to go to the Psalms and make that a central part of your prayer. For in the Psalms, we have words that God has given us to speak to Him. The Psalms connect our personal walk with God to the corporate life of the body of believers we call the church. The Psalms increase our depth and understanding. It increases our affections and our emotions so that we learn many things. We learn how to lament when things aren't going our way. To wait and hope in a godly way. To praise even in dark days in a godly way. Now many of the Psalms are for protection. My, Psalm 91 is my go-to Psalm. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. You know, a fowler is a bird catcher and a snare is a type of slipknot. And this is a metaphor for Satan and his evil schemes and devices that he uses to ensnare us. He, God, will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. Here we go with the bird uh, metaphor again. A pinion is the outer part of the bird's wings. It's for protection. 
His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. A buckler is a portable shield that surrounds a person that they used in biblical days. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by the day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at right hand, but it will not come near you. But it You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. See, recompense is a returning, a settling of debts. Satan is going to get his debt settled in the end, and we're going to watch it. It's lake of fire. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. I love this part. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. If you ever wondered if you have a guardian angel, you don't have to worry. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. They're going to protect you. You will tread on the lion and the adder. We use here that metaphor of lions and serpents. Lions, you know, roar. It's life's difficulties. We know about serpents and Satan, right? We're going to tread on that. We're going to, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot. But I love the ending here because the voice then turns from these pleas and and what will happen if we have God and God is speaking himself. God says this, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Today, guys, here's what I want us to do. I want us to close with this as our prayer. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to read this together. I have to tell you at 930 Our computers crashed twice during this prayer, but that's okay because Satan, you ain't got power here, okay? So let's, let's pray this, Psalm 91 together. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. 
on their hands. They will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. As we close our prayer series, I'm going to issue this invitation. If you don't know Jesus, now's the time. What are you waiting for? You're either of the world, of the God of this world, which is not who we want to be with, right? Or we're with Christ. And now's the time to do business with God. We're going to have two songs. We have rails. We invite you to come and give it all to him. Even anything, lay your burdens, your troubles, praises. Praise God for today. So let's give it to him as our prayer, as our praise team leads us in these two songs.